This activity is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Oyster Point. This content was captured during a synchronous virtual symposium. Polling took place during the symposium. Hi, everybody. Dr. Laura Perryman in Seattle, Washington. And this is a fun topic. So yeah, I am so lucky to be joined by two Canadians. This is like, you know, North American Alliance here. This is awesome. Uh, Dr. Jessica Steen, who is an associate professor at uh, Nova Southeastern University College of Optometry in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And Dr. Mila Brujic, he's partner at Premier Vision Group in Bowling Green, Ohio. I'm so lucky that we're here all together. This is awesome. Cyclosol. So if you take, this is taking that same finicky fat-loving cyclosporin and putting it in a different uh, solute. We also use an alkane for this, but this one's different because it's shorter. This uh, alkane that it's suspended in is uh, perfluoropental butane, which doesn't have the same monolayer evaporative load uh, protecting capacities as cyclo. Uh, uh, hexyl octane in the mybo. So it's a little different alkane, but it's able to carry that cyclosporin and deliver it to the ocular surface in a comfortable way. Cyclosporin is fantastic for modulating T-cell activity and reducing inflammatory cytokines. So this would be a patient that I, I would prescribe this for someone who has tried other immunomodulators and has tolerability uh, issues um, I think this is something that has an excellent tolerability profile, and I'm going to show you. So improvements in uh, the Shermer scores, 8% uh, in the um, first study, 11% in the second study, and they were statistically significant. The most common adverse reactions were installation site reactions at a low 8% rate and temporary uh, changes in visual acuity at 3%. Love talking about Demodex. I have so many photos and videos on my phone of these eight-legged critters. Like I'll save a house spider all day long, but not these eight-legged pests. Mm -mm. Um, these are just prevalent. About 50 to 60% of patients, all comers, uh, will have Demodex. And it's something to learn to pay attention to. But the um, in the FDA trials, they were looking for complete choleric cure. So when we're recruiting for these patients, they had there's uh, four levels of grading for cholerets. Have the patient look down and look for that little white crusty sleeve around the base of your eyelash. That's what's considered a choleret, and it's pathognomonic for Demodex. Um, Demodex follicularum specifically. We can't test for Demodex brevis. That guy lives inside the meibomian glands. We don't have a clinical point of care test available for that. So complete choleric cure was the primary endpoint. They found it by day 43. You had to have at least a grade two to two and a half to get into the study. And that was defined as greater than 20 cholerets, but involving less than a third of the lid. And by day 43, there was a 56% choleric cure to go from, you know, a third of the lid being involved with cholerets down to finding zero to two. That's pretty impressive in a short period of time. Uh, clinically meaningful choleric cure, 89% in uh, by day 43 in the studies. And what's interesting about lotalonor, it's actually used in veterinary medicine um, as an oral form for treating, um, for preventing fleas and ticks in our pets. There's a, a whole family of these gabagated chloride channel antagonists that are specific to non-mammalian uh, species. And they basically kill the demodex by suffocation. I don't feel bad about that. 
because <laughs> it helps my patient feel a whole lot better. Again, I'll save a house better, but not these guys. Um, so very exciting data around this, brand new and available. How about the tolerability? You saw that awesome efficacy. How about the tolerability? Uh, installation site burning and pain, 7.9%. Really close to the vehicle though, actually. Blur, uh, very low and similar between the two groups, the active and the control. Dry eye, 1.5%, 0.5%. And a, uh, adverse event severity, moderate, um, three moderates in the TPO3 and one in the vehicle group. But here's what's interesting. When we ask the patients, how tolerable is the drop? On a scale of zero to five, very uncomfortable, five, very comfortable, either neutral, slightly comfortable, or very comfortable. Look at that percentage. When you pull that together, nine out of 10 patients say, it's fine, or it's actually very comfortable. So I think that uh, tolerability is a wonderful feature of this exciting new medication. Hey, Laura, a few questions came through here. Sure, uh, let's do it. Specifically about MIBO as an adjunct therapy to tear care or lipoflow. If so, if you could use it as an adjunct, have you been able to space out the time between the treatments more so when using it? Mm, I, I don't have enough clinical experience to answer that yet. How I see uh, MIBO working because it forms that monolayer uh, reduces friction, stabilizes the tear film in real time. I see it as an immediate addressment of the evaporative load in these patients while you're working on the underlying problems. So as far as like being able to space out the interval between your in-office treatments, I don't, I haven't, we don't have enough clinical experience yet. I mean, we'll learn that as we go in the phase four experience. I don't see any of these new innovations as replacing anything in our toolkit currently. It's synergistic, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to replace anything that you have. It's going to help what you have work better by having the direct tool to address these other aspects of ocular surface disease. You Thank said you. there were two questions? Yeah, it said um, being dose QID, how do you find compliance? Have you found compliance a problem when it would most likely be used long-term? Although this is I mean, it's because it's a new medication. We don't have long-term experience with it. We only have about a week and a half and we're still working on access as well too. But do you foresee QID being an issue for patients? That's a great question. Um, you know, you eat four times a day. Um, you, uh, uh, if something provides relief, I don't think QID is a big issue. We did require it in the FDA trials, but um, patients are probably putting in artificial tears QID anyway, right? And to have something that lasts longer, um, there's some animal studies showing that duration is on the ocular surface is at least six hours in rabbit studies. Um, it gives you longer lasting relief. I don't think it's a hard sell to switch um, or to supplement with the MIBO and how I'm using it clinically now is a good quality moisturizing artificial tear and then the MIBO over the top four times a day. So I, I don't think it'll be an issue in the phase four experience, but I can't wait to hear what your experience is. Yeah, agreed, Laura. And we've even too, with the people have already gotten access to it. They love it. They've been using it very, very easy. Um, another question that came through, how do you use Lodolaner? Um, do you just instill it in the eye, even though we're treating Demodex on the lashes? And this was the thing that I learned from the clinical trials that was so counterintuitive because we're so used to you know, cleaning and treating stuff on the eyelids, but um, they just they just dosed the drop just regularly and it did what it was supposed to do. 
Um, yeah, we, that's such a great question. Were you part of the studies as well? Oh, no, no, we, yeah. we weren't. It, it was really interesting because um, they were asked to put a drop in each eye and then close and rest and let a little bit get to the lash base. And just let it sit there. Remember, Lotalaner. I think of a Norwegian drinking chair. Lotalaner, y'all. Sure, you betcha, right? <laughs> That's how I remember it. You, you don't want to know how I got through medical school memorizing all that information. Some of them are not polite, but this one is. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So we asked them to put it in the eye and then close eyes and let a little bit get in onto the lash base there. Um, it's highly lipophilic. Lotalaner is highly lipophilic, which which means it's going to be absorbed into those oily tissues, which you have in your meibomian glands, which is good because that treats demodex brevis. Uh, we weren't able to test for that in the trials, but theoretically, we're able to smoke those guys out too, right? And then um, with uh, demodex follicularum, there's a little oil gland that sits uh, alongside the, the lash follicle that will be a concentration source for the lipophilic medication as well. So um, I'm already seeing some patients back that have been on it 10 to 12 days at this point. Awesome. I'm seeing improvements in the redness, telangiectasias, tenderness, uh, even the meibomian gland quality, the expressibility and the quality, significant improvements. So I think it's uh, an exciting addition to our armamentarium. And the question on um, how many times to dose it, it's a BID dosing regimen for six weeks. Yep. Reproxilap. This is super interesting. It's a RASP inhibitor. What's a RASP inhibitor? It's a very, very high upstream immunomodulator, like well before all that other stuff. It's like a hazmat for a spill. Just soaks up all of the reactive aldehyde species, uh, which are released as part of inflammasome activity. Um, and it's pedufidate is this fall. Like I said, it's a good year to be a dry eye patient. Improvements in ocular dryness symptom scores, ocular redness, that's refreshing to our patients. They're very concerned about ocular redness and they showed statistical significantly improvements in those um, as well as uh, Schirmer's scores. So over 12 weeks, it was uh, superior to the vehicle and improvement of signs and symptoms of dry eye disease and represents a very, very high upstream inflammation uh, cascade Gestapo cop arrest. No mischief here, right? So it becomes a very interesting approach. AR15512 is a TRPM8 agonist. What's that? TRP is transient receptor potential. It's a super family of receptors. Even nematodes have these. The M8 receptor senses cold. Cold and the response of tearing in response to cold is a protective mechanism to protect your cornea and protect your vision. You're able to specifically stimulate that with this neuromodulatory receptor. And of course, cold helps with pain, right? So there's some reductions in ocular discomfort as well. And that's pedufidate is in 2024. Uh, Thymosin beta-4, this is so interesting because it acts like a signal to the corneal epithelial cells like, hey, I need you to get up and move and cover this defect. So we have the potential to heal corneal epitheliopathy by stimulating the get up and migrate mechanism of these cells. Uh, and this is um, entering phase three as we go along. So a couple quick cases. I'm gonna go fast because your cases are really detailed and interesting, but uh, this is a rosacea patient. He's high myope. 
uh, very adherent with treatment recommendations. We got them under great control. There's Dembedex going on here. Great control with IPL and skincare and lid hygiene and all those different things. And the final frontier was the XDemV. I just saw him today. He's uh, day eight and significant improvements in his meibomian gland expressibility scores. And he's doing better with his sclerals, right? So that's really great. Here's another patient. She was a clinical trial participant. Significant ocular and facial rosacea. This is after the um, TPO3, now known as XDemV trial, and a series of IPL treatments and in-office skincare. So by identifying and leveraging all these awesome tools you have, you're able to help this person get to um, significant improvements. Avid reader in retirement, I just saw her today and she's still reading like mad, but she couldn't before when we first got her. So she is a happy camper. And now I'm gonna turn over to Mila for his awesome cases. We all have patients in our practice. It's a 42 year old female who I used to describe as an older 42 year old female. I now describe her as a young hip 42 year old female. She wears low myopic correction eyeglasses. She works on the computer screen eight to 10 hours a day. And she notices that her eyes feel fatigued and uncomfortable as the day goes on. She also feels that it's related to her heavy computer use, which probably is contributing to that. Medical history, healthy female. I'm not currently using any medications. All posterior segment examination findings were normal. Now here's where it starts to get interesting. So the lids lashes, complete lid seal, um, good meibomian gland length with no dropout. There was plus one meibomian gland dysfunction. Bulbar conjunctiva showed some mild diffuse hyperemia. There was mild sodium fluorescein and lysamine green, green staining nasally OU. The palpebral conjunctiva was clear. The tear film breakup time measured with sodium fluorescein, cobalt blue light, and a rat number 12 filter was about two to three seconds in both eyes. There was some mild corneal staining inferiorly, and all the other findings were normal. But as you can see here, this individual starting to show some corneal staining, and she definitively has a reduced tear film breakup time at the slit lamp. So what do, what do we do for a patient like this? Well, the additional things that we look for, are, let's objectify the symptoms that she's experiencing. And in this instance, she's a 12 on the speed questionnaire. And for those of you that don't regularly use the speed, eight and above is really where we start to question symptoms more so. Again, my Bowman gland infrared imaging showed no dropout and the inflammatory was positive and weak positive. So there was a question that came up earlier, like, how do you know, you know, when to, when to do certain things? And I look at that inflammation reading to help guide me. So what I did here was I wanted to control that inflammation response. And I started on 0.9% cyclosporin twice a day. And we also started with preservative free artificial tears as needed. I also wanted her using a controlled heat mask that produced warm, moist heat on the eyes. And I wanted to see her back in eight weeks. Well, I didn't. And I saw her back a year later. And when I asked her why she isn't using her cyclosporin, she says, you know what, Dr. B, she said, I tried. I tried so hard. My husband tried to put them on, but I couldn't use the drops. So this was a matter of her wanting some level of relief, but me not necessarily even considering the fact that some individuals can't use any type of drops. So we put her on a high quality nutraceutical with 1200 milligrams of omega-3s with a meal. That's where they're best absorbed. And we actually attempted trigeminal nerve path 
pathway stimulation through varenicline, nasal spray. Now here's the few takeaways. One, make sure patients aren't sticking it deep up their nose. Make sure they're just pointing it on the inside surface of their outer nostril. Um, they really, all they have to do is spray it, get it in there, and they can almost blow their nose right away after that because enough molecule or medicine has gotten to the trigger points. And if you do that, very rarely do they sneeze. They can, but very rarely they do. And you can see all of the symptoms, including the signs that she experienced got better. But one of the things that was interesting, and we're starting to see this when you stimulate that trigeminal nerve is that the inflammatory findings actually get substantially better over time. And she went from positives to weak positive and negative with the inflammatory reading. So again, a, a true testament to, again, looking at all the tools that we have, not only doing that, but listening to our patients, figuring out what they certainly can use and trying to match that with the data, Jessica, that you went over earlier. And Laura, really kind of those tools that we have clinically as well. All right. So let's see if we have any more questions. Jessica, I'll, I'll take this one for you here. This one was asked... Um, about IPL specifically, I know you talked a lot about a lot of comparative trials, but we didn't include um, IPL in that. Is IPL has IPL been looked at in terms of those comparative trials? You know, that's something that as we get more experience with IPL, certainly we're understanding its role in combination with other therapies as well. I think it's something that we, the way that we think about IPL and incorporating it is really as an adjunctive therapy to support the other treatments that we use. What is IPL? IPL stands for intense pulse light therapy. And as its name implies, it's just that it's intense pulse light that actually has a strong affinity for those um, red blood vessels and blood cells that are at the surface of the telangiectatic vessels along the face. And what we know is it does two things when you target that with intense pulse light. One, it helps facial rosacea, but it also improves symptoms of meibomian gland dysfunction secondary to rosacea.